0: We're starting a brand new series today called Signs and Wonders, which I realize that might sound a little arrogant or presumptive to some of you, but uh, the God of the Bible is a God of both signs and wonders. He's a God of, of signs, and another word, maybe for wonders is miracles. And I want you to know there are two different things. A sign and a miracle have two different purposes. Now, sometimes it's one event that serves a dual role. It is a sign and it's also a miracle. We're going to look at one of those today. A miracle is an event. It's a time when God intervenes in the way that things are naturally going and He adjusts the outcome. It's a miracle. It's an event. A sign is a signifier. It's an indication. It points to something that's always bigger than it. And so today we're going to look at something that served a dual purpose as both a sign and a wonder. And I want to pause for a moment and say good morning to everybody who's, uh, who didn't brave the rain or who is watching in... The other week, I don't know if you're in the comments of our live stream. It was like somebody saying, I'm in Missouri watching. Another one said, I'm in Key West watching. Another one said, I'm at the beach watching. And and I was like, all these people in these really nice places, (laughs) you know, watching, you know. So uh, we're glad that you're tuning in and you're watching. So welcome those of you that are on Facebook watching us today, either now or watching it later in an archive format. Those of you who are downloading and listening to our podcast, we're glad you're part of this morning's uh, message and this morning's teaching. Don't forget to like comment share let us know you're out there let us know you're listening and it's also a great way to take what we're doing here and getting it out to all your friends um i want to be more intentional about getting more people involved in uh, Sunday mornings here at Echo, because we are a family. We're not just a congregation, we're a family. And one of the great ways, Joe, if you want to start coming down, one of the great ways, I thought, and an easy way for us to get more people involved is to have other people come and read the text to you uh, each week so we get to know a little bit of, of, of who's here and who's part of our church family. So when I, I told Joe, I was like, when, when I'm reading the Gospel of John, And there's a voice in my brain that's reading it. It sounds so much like yours. I think, you know, John must be Kenyan or something like that. But uh, I invited Joe if he would just come and give us a chance to get to know him this morning. He's going to read our text today. Joe?
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, As you heard, um, Joseph Nganga. That last name is not indigenous to the Americas. Um, It is indeed a Kenyan name. Uh, I am married to one wife. Um, Her name is Teresa. Uh, She is with the kids over there. Um, And I joined Echo uh, about the second Sunday after it started. So I have seen it grow, I've seen it morph. And um, I I came to Christ way back in high school, Uh, all boys high school. one dark evening, we had blackouts, which is not uncommon in Africa or in Kenya. Uh, just that one evening, I knew I, was, I knew my life was missing something. I knew that just trying to repent every night wasn't good enough for me. I, need, I knew those, they needed a silver bullet that could cure it all, and I found salvation. So uh, I served at the sound booth with the rest of my colleagues there we not noticed unless something goes wrong, and then <laughs> every head goes like that. Uh, anyways, like back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, our reading today is from John chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. So if you could turn with me or swipe with me, uh, we're going to read together. Uh, the next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not my problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. Thank you. All
0: right. All right. The key to understanding what's going on here is found in verse 11. It's found in verse 11 what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him it's interesting the writer John calls this miracle of water being turned into wine he doesn't just call it a miracle he calls it a sign to be sure it was a miracle but what John is telling us that the miracle is more than just what it appears to be. It is a sign. It's an indication. It's a signifier of something much grander, much larger, much more cosmic and eternal in its impact than just helping a wild party to go on a few more days. The big idea or a big idea that I want to build on today is this, it's in your notes that Jesus' primary motivation in performing miracles is not to display His love but to deepen our faith in Him. Jesus' primary motivation in doing miracles is not to display His love but to deepen our faith in Him. You understand you're going to run into a problem if you think God hands out miracles to the people He loves more than others. Because I don't know about you but I've not seen Every request I put into God answered the way I asked. I've asked him for things before that he hasn't given me. Or he hasn't given me yet. Or he, I asked him for one thing and he gave me another. I asked him for wine and he gave me Water and if we fall into this trap of thinking that this God of the Bible that Christians talk about this God of Israel that Moses prayed about who parted the Red Sea and could interfere with the climate and can hold back the Sun or make the Sun stand longer the God who can raise people from the dead and deliver demoniacs and make the sick people whole the people that fell out of windows and broke their necks during a sermon he could raise them from the dead that same God If he still does that same thing, he must not love me that much because I'm not seeing the same thing. You see, Jesus didn't perform miracles to prove how much he loved people. He showed up and died to prove how much he loved people. He did miracles to point as a bigger picture so that people would deepen their faith in him. I don't know what happened the week after, the day after, the month after, this wild party kept going. They had more booze. They kept partying. What an odd way to introduce Jesus to the world. I don't know what happened over the next week or month. I don't know if you talked to the master of ceremonies later on what was different in his life. I don't know about the teenage bride and groom, what happened in their life a month later. I don't even know if they ever really figured out what went on behind the scenes. But I know John tells us the disciples saw. And from that moment forward, they put their faith in him. So let's unwind this a little bit further. This is a wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, it's wedding season. It's wedding season at Echo apparently, I mean, this week. The books are full, Carrie and Jean are getting married on Sunday morning, Paul and Sherry are getting married on Saturday afternoon, come hurricane or rain, we're going to get them married. And I want you to understand, back in the day, these ancient weddings were supposed to be the greatest, most joyful, most memorable occasion that anybody could ever experience. Probably between two 14-year-olds. They got married young back in the day. And so what we have here is the very way that John introduces Jesus to his readers. It's different than Matthew did and Mark did and Luke did. Jesus starts... Or John starts with Jesus at a wild wedding party that had run out of booze three days in. Despite all of the plans that they made, despite all of the all of the consumption they planned for, they ran out. You see, Jesus was encountering a problem that wasn't really a problem. Nobody was dying. Nobody was sick. There were no demon-possessed people running around the party. It's two teenagers getting married and they run out of booze earlier than they planned. You see, the definition of crisis can change from one family to the next. There are certain things that in your household might be a crisis that in mine I wouldn't wouldn't lose a wink of sleep over. In my house... If you open up the pantry, or the freezer, or the refrigerator, and there is a certain item that should be there that isn't, it is time for a crisis. In my house, if it's after 7 p.m., and we have a strict bedtime of 8 p.m., if it's after 7 p.m., and my wife opens the refrigerator and says, oh, no. Without her saying another word, no matter what I am wearing at that point, I begin to get ready to go to the store. Because it means one thing and one thing only. It means we have no milk. Now you might be able to go weeks or months or years without milk, but not in my house. I have a six-year-old that treasures a routine. His routine includes every morning daddy gets him up. Daddy makes sure he has his clothes on. Daddy has breakfast ready for him, and he's informed me he wants the same breakfast every day for all of first grade. Every day for kindergarten, we had toast with butter and jelly, strawberry jelly, cut into equal squares with all the crust cut off. Every day, 180 days worth. This year, he's decided it's going to be rice checks, or we shop at Aldi Rice Squares. (laughs) But not dry rice squares. Oh, no, 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 no. Rice squares with whole milk. You you see, in my house, if anything about the routine gets changed, there is a domino effect of disaster that spills through the Nauer house. If there's no milk and my six-year-old comes to the table, the mood immediately changes to one of betrayal. (laughs) I can't eat this. There's no milk. And he begins to raise his voice. And when he raises his voice, the one-year-old in the other room wakes up. And when the one-year-old wakes up, the mom wakes up. And when the mom wakes up, I'm in trouble. And now I'm sending the boy off to school with no breakfast. He just crossed the 40-pound barrier. There's not much to him. He's 2 pounds of muscle and 38 pounds of heart and mouth. And if there's no milk and I send him to school, I'm gonna get a call from his teacher. We've got a problem. Your son's lying motionless on the floor. We're putting the pencil in his fingers and it just falls out. He insists he can't do any work today because you didn't get milk. I don't know what things, if they're missing from your refrigerator or your pantry, demand an immediate trip to the store, but in my house, when my wife says, oh, no, I don't care what time it is. And even if I'm wearing a mismatched T-shirt and shorts and socks and sandals, it means a trip to the store no matter how silly I look or how much of an inconvenience it is. I just know that if I don't do something, there's going to be a problem in the culture of the Nauer household. You see, Jesus was at a party. And at the party... They had run out of booze. Now that wasn't a problem to Jesus. But it was a problem for the bride and the groom. Or it was about to be when they sobered up and realized it had gone dry. You see, they lived in a shame and honor culture. And if you embarrassed your family. If you disgraced the host. If you embarrassed your guest by not providing for them what you said that you would, it would take years and maybe generations to live it down. And Jesus' mother, who probably is a type A personality, figures out they've run out of wine and she comes to Jesus and she says, there's no more wine. Do something. What's she really saying? Here's what she's saying. Jesus, this is supposed to be the most joyful, greatest day in the lives of these two young people. But something's about to happen that's going to leave this day being less than joyful. It is going to become a disastrous disgrace unless you do something. And Jesus, with a tender heart, turns to his wife, to to his mom calls her, woman, this is not something, fellows, you should take and apply to your life. He says, woman, what does that have to do with me? It's not my problem. It's not my crisis. Not on my itinerary. Not on my schedule. My time has not yet come. Now what's he saying here? Probably a couple different layered things. Does it sound like he's excited about responding? No. Does it sound like he thinks it's an emergency? No. Does he agree to get involved? No. But what's the next thing Mary says? She turns to the servants. And she says, whatever he tells you to do do it. It might look silly. It might look crazy. It might make you feel awkward. You might not be ready for it, but whatever he tells you to do, do it. Where did she come up with the idea from that little remark of Jesus that he had agreed to get involved? I love what Bishop T.D. Jakes says about what she was doing here. I was listening to his sermon on this text. And he says, what you see here is something called expectation. And in a way that he can only put it, the bishop said, she was getting ready for what shall be while she was living in what is. She in her mind and in her heart, I don't know how she knew. We could talk about that all day. But she knew, I've gone to Jesus, I've told him about the problem, now I'm going to get ready for him to get involved. And for all we can tell, she exited the scene at that point, I don't know. What is Jesus saying when he's saying, woman, this is not my problem, my time has not yet come. Everywhere else in John, where Jesus says, my time has not yet come, what's he talking about? Everywhere else, because he talks, there's at least four or five other times he says my time has not yet come. What's he talking about? His death. Death on the cross. Now this passage is commonly interpreted when he says my time has not yet come to mean the time for me to step out of the shadows into my public ministry. It's not my time to let people know that I am the son of God and I'm here to do miracles and I'm here to to seek and save the lost. A lot of people interpret it that way. He's, He's telling her, why are you involving me? It's not time for me to go public with what I can do yet. Is it possible he was speaking to both things? Here's what he's really saying. He's saying, mom, this miracle is not on my calendar. This is not ultimately why I came here. This is not my problem. This is not a crisis. This is not an emergency. However, but because of who you are to me, because of your faith, because you asked, I will get involved. And maybe there's another thing he's thinking of too. And we'll save that to the end, but file that away. Maybe he is also saying, Why are you asking me? To spare two unprepared people the embarrassment and the disgrace of a party gone wrong. It's not my time to die yet. Maybe he also meant that too. But what else do we see here? She says to the servants, what'd she say? What did she tell the servants to do? Do whatever he tells you. And then Jesus gives them some instruction. Now what did they need? What did they need? Wine. Wine. Again, why they picked this passage, so difficult to walk through. You know, it's like why of all the things you could have picked for an evangelical church to study through, (laughs) the very first miracle is about alcohol. But um, we'll leave that for another day. But what did they need? They needed more wine. What does Jesus tell the servants to go get? Are you with me? What did they need? Wine. Wine. That's what they needed, right? Didn't need water. But what does he tell them to go get? Water. Interesting. Now think about this. John gives us specific details about what things were there. And he takes the time to tell us there were six, what? Six stone jars What were they used for? Jewish ceremonial washing. Now this is interesting. Those jars were not used for ladling out booze. They were used by Jews who followed the old covenant. And the old covenant said this, God is holy. And we are flawed. And the only way you and I can approach God is if we get cleaned up first. The only way flawed people can approach God is through uh, what they had in those times, a, a, a series of cleansing or purification rites and rituals. And some of those rituals would include things like blood sacrifices of animals. Other times there were, there were other things they had to do, but one common basic thing they, they believed in very heavily was, was the washing of their hands and the washing of their feet with water. And so nearby at the feast were empty six stone jars that were used to make people ceremonially clean to interact with a holy God. And what he sa- and they would have used these all the time. And Jesus is saying, now look at these jars that are symbols of religion to you. I'm going to use the things that are part of your religious routine, but I'm going to redefine them. And they're going to be the source of a miracle for you. What are the things you do religiously? Come to church every week by 1020. Sit in the same place. Worship the same way. Pray the same way. Try and be out by a certain time. Get in your car. Go through your routine. If it's just a religious ritual, it's not going to bring a miracle for you. I get up every day and I spend exactly 10 minutes, not 11, not 9, with Jesus. What are the things that you do religiously? I give by God exactly 10%, not 9, not 11 I give it every week, I give it every month, I give it every time I get paid, bless God. Those things which become religious to us, that you only view as just ceremonies, things that you can do, achievements, notches on your belt, boxes to click off. If that's all following Jesus is, it will never usher you into a place of expecting the miraculous. He says to the servants, fill them with water. How much could each of those jars hold? 20 to 30 gallons of water times 6. So we're looking at upwards of how many gallons of water here? 150 to 180, right? Have you ever, have you ever tried to carry a stone jar, an empty one, that could hold 30 gallons of water? You're not moving those jars. He's telling the servants, you got to do a lot of work right now. Because in order to fill those six jars, what would they have to do? They'd have to take smaller buckets. And they'd have to go to wherever they could get water, whether it was the well or the stream. And they'd have to fill up smaller buckets with what? With wine? No, with water. You know how much a gallon of water weighs? About eight and a third pounds. We're talking about 1,500 pounds of water that needed to be moved from the source, buckets at a time, back to these six stone jars. That's a lot of work. You got to carry something down to the stream, down to the source. And you got to fill it up. And it would be easy for them to be motivated if the moment they pulled it out of the well, it looked like wine. But they went into the source, and it came up water. And they took it back, and they emptied it out into the jar, and it looked in there, and it was still water. Why is it when you and I pray to God, and we seek God, and we intercede, and we fast, and we pray... And we ask him, God, I need wine. You know I need wine. My family needs wine. Why is it that so many times when we go to wine, he starts talking about water? God, you know I'm talking to you about my finances. Why are you talking to me about forgiveness? God, you know I need a breakthrough at work. And I've been praying and praying and praying. And why are you dealing with me about sharing my faith over here? Why is it that when we go to God and we say, God, this is my crisis, this is my emergency, he says, I hear you, and he talks to us about something that seems to have nothing to do with the miracle we really need. What happens? Why is that? Think about these servants. They didn't know who Jesus was. They just saw the faith of his mama. Because you see, even one person's faith in a room full full of dead faith can get the action going. One person. You don't have to wait for your church to get happy if you are. You don't have to wait for your church to start pressing in if you do. You don't have to wait for somebody else to start a fire and you jump on it, you be the spark. One person, one person said, Do whatever he tells you, and that was enough. And this was no small task, it was hard, it was heavy, it was cumbersome going back to the same source, wishing for wine and pulling up water, going back to the same well, wishing for wine and needing wine and pulling up water. But they did it until they filled those jars to the rim with water. What are the things you've asked God for and you feel like he's being silent and talking to you about something else? Makes you feel like, God, are you hearing what I'm asking you about? (laughs) I need a husband. I need a wife. Why are you talking to me about this? Have you not heard me? Maybe that's where you're at today. I know I've been there. I am there. (laughs) I'm praying for God for years, for a building, for Echo. I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I fast, and I intercede. I spend hours every week doing nothing but seeking God for that. And he came back to me with some things that didn't sound like that. He said, great, I hear you. How about you pray all over the school district this year? God, that's great. I'll get a lot of steps in if I physically walk all over the Perry Hall School District over the next 12 months and pray. That's great. That's fine. But, but we need a building, not a hike. You know, it's easy to obey God when everything comes up wine, but when it comes up water, you wonder, should I keep dipping the bucket in this well? Yeah, It's easy when I'm walking with 20 or 30 people, but after the first two months, and I'm out there over my lunch break, sweating through my work clothes, hiking up and down streets, just praying for the neighborhoods, praying for the community. I like to tell you that every time I do it, it feels inspiring and it's a spiritual high. But all I know is that whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to do it. And if that means i got to walk by myself up and down every street and pray, then I'm going to walk up and down every street and pray. There was one particular day I was walking up and down in seven courts. I was praying in the neighborhood, asking God to all the different things I was asking him to do. asking him for wine, asking him about a particular piece of property that was in front of us. And I was really asking about, he says, when you get back to your office, there's eight people I want you to reach out to. I said, God, that's great. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I'm a guy who likes to stay on topic. I don't like when people try and derail the conversation. That's great. Let's hold it for this is what we're talking about. When you get back to your office, I need you to reach out to eight of my children that are part of your church. God, that's great, wonderful. What does that have to do with Echo having a new building? He says, whatever I'm telling you to do, you do it. Fine. I go back. He didn't tell me what method to use, so I used email. Looked up their email addresses, emailed these eight people. God put you on my heart today. I want to pray for you. Okay. It's random, but I'll do it. I'm telling you within two hours, and this never happens when I send emails. Most of y'all don't even reply to my emails, but for whatever reason, this day, all eight reply. All eight. One email came back. I cannot believe I'm receiving your email right as I'm waiting to go into this really tense meeting in our department. We've got a new boss. He's on the war path. He's He's calling us all in, splitting us against each other. It's overwhelming. I don't know what's going on. I thought he wasn't hearing me, and then I get your email. Okay. I get another one back. You know, God's just reassigned me to another part of the country, and I'm getting ready to move, and I'm packing boxes, and I'm just feeling overwhelmed. It's so crazy. Your email comes through right now. Another couple caught me that Sunday and said, you know, we had too much to say. We didn't want to put in an email. There's a, a it, The timing couldn't have been more Perfect because there's a situation going on with one of our grandkids that is just, just draining us dry. And I'm sitting back. I'm asking for wine. But I'm seeing that God can be trusted with water too. I'm seeing that in my own life. I'm seeing that come to fruition. I've been praying about this building and praying about this building and moving forward and the budget and us being a new church. A couple weeks ago God said, you know what? I want you to start challenging our people to give to world missions. God, I'm asking you for wine. (laughs) This is a generous group. They're giving of their tithes and their offerings. They're giving above and beyond that to a vision fund. You know how large our church is. We're a couple hundred people on a good day. You know those who, who give. You know those who don't. And you want me to stand up in front of that same group of people and challenge them to give more? Well, God, that doesn't make sense. You know we need money in the budget to be able to do X, Y, Z. You know we need money in the vision fund to do X, Y, Z. World missions too? We give, but it's not like our challenge them to give. God, I'm asking you for wine. Why are you talking to me about carrying water? Okay. So I started having people share testimony about missions. When missionaries started to call me, because in... In the Assemblies of God world, when a church becomes a sovereign church, that means you can now make a decision about where you want to give mission support to. And so missionaries tend to find out very quickly when a new church starts. And so I've gotten lots of letters and emails and phone calls, and and not in a bad way, in a really good way, because they depend upon churches for support. And so I'm getting overwhelmed with more requests, and I'm looking at our checking account, and I'm looking at what comes in for missions, and I'm thinking, where is this all going to come from? We need to do this, and how's it going to happen? And Lord, I'm asking you for wine, and you're telling me, okay, fine, (laughs) I'll do it. I'll carry the bucket. And for the last few weeks, you've heard testimonies from different people from our team, you've heard updates about some missionaries, opportunities we've had to support them. I was looking back over the last fiscal year, prior to this one, or like 10 weeks in or so to this current fiscal year. Over the previous 52 weeks, this church gave $6,000 to World Missions. And over the, over the last three weeks, you've given over $6,000 to World Missions. And we're able to start sending money all over the world to missionaries who are building churches in cities where there is none. It's been the difference maker in getting some people who are itinerating or trying to, re, trying to raise their support. With our support, they're now allowed to now buy plane tickets and go back to the field and get back to work. And here I am saying, God, but we need X, Y, we need wine. And he's saying, here's water. God, here's what I need. Okay, here's what you need to carry. Because what's happening... While we're carrying that water back and forth, wishing for wine. What's happening when you say, you know what, even though I don't see it changing, I don't see my miracle coming, and I'm still going back to the same source. I'm praying the same prayers. I'm going to the same church. I'm digging in my Bible the same way. I'm worshiping the same way. I'm going back to the same source, and I'm seeing water, not wine. What's happening is you are becoming committed to your vision, whether or not you see anything change. There is a depth there's a militancy in your heart about saying, "But you know what God spoke to me." And God put a vision in my heart to be healed. God put a vision in my heart to have a healthy marriage. God put a vision in my heart to be debt-free. God put a vision in my heart to do this. And even though it doesn't look like it's going through right now, I am committed to the vision because the enemy will come to you while you're carrying water and he'll say, "Where is your God?" Where's your God? Didn't you tell me you had a word from the Lord? Where is he? Why are you busying yourself carrying the things that you could have gotten on your own without God? You could have gotten water without him. You could walk around and pray for houses without God. You could do this or that without God because what's happening in your heart is you're showing the Lord, I am committed to this vision and I'm committed to you. And I trust you. This whole time, the servants can you imagine how heavy it is? 1,500 pounds of water. Once you got the, once you got the jars halfway full, wood, there's no wine. Isn't this enough? They're one bucket short on top of the stone pitcher, and they're like, you know what? I'm exhausted. This, there's enough water. We can only squeeze one more bucket in there. I don't want to walk the whole way down there. And carry. That's not what they said. They literally carried water wishing for wine until those stone jars were completely filled. Amazing what Jesus does here. So they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Somewhere between the ladling out, the drawing out of the water from the stone jar, and the master of the banquet's lips, the miracle happened. But I also want you to understand that had some human beings along the way Decided not to involve themselves in the miracle, it probably wouldn't have turned out this way. God invites us to get involved in the miraculous. Not because He needs us, but because of what it does in us. You can lay at home all day with the covers over your head and pray for a job. What are you expecting to happen? Some employee to knock on your door and come find you and say, hey, you're the one I was looking for. Get involved. Get involved. Get involved in those things God's put in your heart to seek him for. And it gets to the lips of the master of the banquet. Now, the master of the banquet, it's a tough word for us to translate. It's one Greek word. We don't have an exact equivalent. You can think of it as the MC, the the host, the master of the ceremony, whatever you want to call it. Bottom line is this their sole job was to make sure that everybody had a good time. There's no indication in this story that anybody other than Mary had picked up on the fact that they'd run out of wine. Now, I don't know if that speaks to just the general level of inebriation among the crowd. I don't know what it means. But all I know is that the servants, John tells us, they knew what had happened. The master of the banquet, he just says, wow, this family is amazing. He says, to the bride and the groom, usually what happens is we wait till everybody is hammered. And then we bring out the really weak alcohol because nobody cares at that point. We give them the best stuff first. So that they're like, wow, they're really putting on a good show here. They brought out the aged wine. They brought out the real good premium stuff. And then once they're sloshed, we can give them anything and they're just happy. But you've done the reverse. You waited till halfway through the ceremony and now you're bringing out the good stuff. And if you are thinking of a way to launch your candidacy for public office, um, of course, Christian's sitting right here, so you know, no, no, nobody current included. Listen, I was at the event where Christian announced his candidacy for Senate. It was an awesome event. It was very well organized and planned and thought through. And he would tell you, if you're a candidate wanting to introduce yourself to the public to run for office, that very first event that you do is going be, to be really carefully thought through. Everything about the environment, everything about the event, everything about how it looks, feels, and sounds needs to introduce people what you're all about. What you're all about. Getting your message out there in as many different ways as you can. Very clear, very controlled. And here's Jesus' first event. And is it anything more than Jesus rescuing a couple teenagers from a social disgrace of having not enough booze to keep the party going? I think there's another layer to this. I think maybe Jesus was also saying... When he interacted with Mary, I think he was also saying, You know what? I recognize that ultimately I'm preparing a wedding feast. I am the ultimate master of ceremonies. And I recognize that I'm preparing for a bride. But that bride is not as prepared as they think they are. I'm preparing a wedding feast. That should be the greatest event in all of recorded history. But because the bride is not as prepared as they think they are, if nothing changes and I don't get involved, it's going to end in a disastrous disgrace. And what they don't need is wine. What they do need is to be cleansed kind of reminds me of what Isaiah writes, if I can find it, Isaiah 25, I think. Isaiah 25 tells us about the end of time, Isaiah 25, around verse 6, and it describes what the great master of ceremonies is preparing for us. Here's what it says. On the mountain of the Lord Almighty, uh, I'm sorry, on the mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people. A banquet of the very best of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Down in verse 8, it says he'll swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace. From all the earth. And that day they will say. Surely is this our God. We trusted in him. And he saved us. This is the Lord we trusted in. Let us rejoice. And be glad in his salvation. Maybe Jesus is also saying to us. That this is not just a miracle. This is a sign. This whole event. Is a sign. About. Some bigger thing than this feast. Maybe it's a sign of someday the Bible tells us about that God is preparing for us. Maybe it's telling us what the Bible says, that God is preparing the wedding supper of the Lamb. And that there is coming a day when everybody, all Christians, all people who have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, will have this great banquet together. And that it should be the very greatest, most joyful event in all of recorded history. And that so many people, the Bible describes after all Jesus as the groom and the church, his bride. And the Bible after all says that that, that most of us probably think that we're prepared for that day. And what Jesus knows is just like these young people in this story. They thought that they had this whole banquet figured out. But little did they know they were unprepared. And there was nothing at this point that bride and groom could do in time to fix the situation. The only way that they could get out is if somebody stepped in on their behalf and covered their disgrace. Maybe this is a sign that Jesus also wants to see. This is not just a miracle because we weren't there. And the reality is God can perform a whole bunch of miracles and you'll go home and come back. weak and want him to top it. The resurrected Jesus showed up to hundreds of people. About a quarter of them actually stuck around to wait in Jerusalem for the promised gifts of the Holy Spirit. The rest of them, well, you know what? We saw him raised from the dead. I don't know what else he's going to do. Listen, if Jesus showed up here today and did a whole bunch of miracles, it would change some of us. But the rest of us would just wonder, okay, what's he going to do next? What we see happening here is Jesus saying this. They don't just need more wine. They need to have their disgrace covered. And I'm going to show them and show us forever this. You and I are like that couple in the story. Many of us don't even know how unprepared we are. We don't know how unprepared we are for that wedding feast. And God wants it to be the most amazing thing for when you and I pass over from this side to eternity, when we die, and we get to see Jesus face to face. If we're prepared, it's going to be the most glorious experience ever. Nothing will compare to that. However, If we're unprepared, it will be the most ultimate disgrace. And you and I, we can't clean ourselves up enough. That was the downfall of the old covenant. We can't just go to church enough or give enough or read enough Bible or pray enough prayers, do enough good things to clean ourselves up enough to have a seat at the table with the holy God. And God knows that. And Jesus understands that. And Jesus said, what I will do is I will come and I will replace the old covenant with a better one. And it won't be with the washing of hands, it will be with the washing of, with my blood. So that from now on, anybody who wants relationship with me doesn't have to go out and try and make w- wine out of water. They come to me and they receive what I've already done. And maybe, just maybe, in addition to being a miracle that inspired the faith of his disciples, Jesus is showing us today that you don't have to clean yourself up to have a table with a holy God. Jesus has done all of the effort for you. He's changed the old out for the new. It is his blood, his holy wine, as it were, that covers over our sins and covers over our embarrassment and covers our our disgraces. He wants to spare us the shame. He wants to spare us. Just like Isaiah says, he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. He will cover over our disgraces. And isn't it interesting that the first thing we see Jesus doing is exactly that. He's wiping away the tears. He's covering over disgraces. He's replacing the old with the new. So no matter what level you want to take this on, there's something for all of us as our worship team comes. You might be in a place in life where you're asking God for wine. Whatever that looks like for you. You need a miracle. You need him to intervene in a situation where you're at right now. And I have a word for somebody. You've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying. And you know that you know that you know that what you're asking the Lord for is well within his heart to be able to do for you. And you keep going back to those prayers and you keep doing everything you know to do. And you're hoping for wine. You're pulling up water. Don't despise small beginnings. Don't be discouraged. Don't give up. You let this season galvanize your heart around your vision. Because he hears you. He hears you. And I'm not a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, say it and spray it guy. I'm not not that kind of a guy. I'm not. But I do believe in the role that our faith plays. And I do believe in a God of the Bible. And I do believe that the God of the Bible who did all those miracles can still do them today. And I still believe that our faith moves God. And I still believe that there's a gap between me understanding why and how and when he does what he does. I don't understand it all. I can't boil it down into a formula. If you do A, B, C, then D, E, F are going to happen. I'm not trying to do that. But I trust him. And I trust his motives. And I'd rather be carrying water around following him than carrying wine that I brewed in my own cellar going around trying to run my own thing. Are you doing what God's challenged you to do? Are you obeying him? Are you walking close to him? I want you to be encouraged. I've, I didn't want to interrupt what Moses was saying this morning, but I mean, I felt at that moment when he was talking about building our faith, let's pray, <laughs> let's lay hands on people who need miracles. We're going to do that this morning. and carve out a few extra time, minutes of time. I also want to speak to those of you that say, you know what, I, I never really understood Jesus like that. And I recognize now that I, there is something wrong with me. I am flawed. I don't know why I work as hard as I do. I don't know why I worry about how I look. I don't know why at the end of the day I'm, I'm, I'm always feeling like I don't measure up. I don't, I, I don't know why I obsess over some of the things that I do, but there must be something deep inside of me that's not satisfied. Jesus offers you identity, purpose, meaning, salvation. He doesn't want you to feel disgraced or embarrassed. He doesn't want you to carry this load of life without Him by your side. It just requires that you come to Him and you admit You admit, hey, I'm flawed, and I need a holy God to to clean me. You have to believe that Jesus is the one who has paid the price for you, that he has replaced the old with the new, that his blood, when he hung on the cross and he died and he rose from the dead, that that was the payment. God says, hey, sin, the penalty of sin is death. Jesus said, all right, I'll write that check for everybody. I'm the only one who can do it. He wrote the check. He paid with his life. He gave the receipt of his resurrection, and God accepted payment. Well, I couldn't do that for myself. Exactly. You just accept what he's done over your life. And you have to choose him to be your Lord and Savior. You have to accept, believe, and choose. If you're ready to make that decision today, it would be my honor to pray with you. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Prayer team, you can come to your places as I pray. If you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, you can pray a simple prayer that says this. Jesus, I admit that I have fallen short of the standard you set for our lives I'm flawed and broken but I believe in who you are Jesus you are the son of God you lived the life I should have lived you died the death I deserve to die as my substitute in my place so that I could be accepted by God Not on my resume or for my sake, but Jesus on your resume and for your sake. I choose you to be my Lord. This means I step off of the throne of my life and I invite you to sit in its place. I welcome you into my life. I receive forgiveness. In your name I pray. Be willing and able, I want you to stand with me. I also know this. I know that long before God spoke to me about a more permanent home for Echo, he spoke to me about creating a place where he could pour out his spirit and demonstrate his spirit for the purpose of the deep transformation of the lives all over this part of Baltimore County. Long before he talked to me about things tangible, years ago, he said, I will build my church in a way that no man will take credit for it. We will build a church on the power and the presence of God. We will build a church that knows the God of the Bible. And I realize that there are many times when I ask God for that wine and I look around my life and I see water. There have been seasons where I've gotten discouraged and just assumed that that's not what God wanted to do. But I want you to know that God is absolutely serious about wanting to know his people in such a way as the people in the Bible did. And I am so confident that this type of a season is about to be poured out on his church. That I've already talked to our leaders and I said, listen, here's what I think is coming. Get ready. Get ready. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we need to prepare. Here's how we need to get our hearts ready. And I, it's been cool because the leaders haven't said, but, but pastor, all we see is water. We don't see this. We don't see the indications. We don't see the tremors. We don't see the whatever it is that we're looking for God to do. They've all just said, okay. Okay. And I'm learning it only takes one person to be able to see this and get it in their spirit. and It will inspire the faith of other people. I just want you, church, to get ready. I want you to get your hearts ready. I want you to get your house ready. I want you to get your spirit ready. Because God is getting ready to pour out his spirit in unprecedented ways and in new methods. And he will meet with people who want to meet with him. You just have to want it very, very much. So I'm ready. I am in that season right now. And it is the best but I don't just want to seek after a series of events. I want to be transformed forever, forever, forever.